0: friends and comrades, we are live. This is a little interesting experiment. Our first time as Red Star Over Asia podcast, the podcast that covers Asian politics, history and social movements from an explicitly socialist perspective. Uh, This is our first time sort of playing around and experimenting with uh, the live stream format. So thank you all for joining us uh, on Twitch. You can leave comments and uh, ask questions and make suggestions and we will uh, talk about that that on the show. We're monitoring that as we speak. Um, so we are doing a special episode today. We are here with myself, Mike, and we have Bori. Bori, how you doing?
1: I'm doing f- excellent. Thank you. Uh, it was kind of a hustle getting this all set up, but I think we persevered and successfully pulled it off.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a fun little experiment. Uh, looking forward to engaging with our audience. And also, we have Jack, also up in Seoul with Bory. How you doing, Jack? Oh, hey, partners. Uh, just
2: slowly deteriorating here, I'm sure, with many of the people in the world.
0: So we are doing this special live stream episode. We're being a little playful and experimenting, but uh, unfortunately... What brings us together for this, uh, the topic for tonight's episode is uh, unfortunately very sad circumstances. There was recently a uh, spree shooting in Atlanta, racist attack against Asian Americans, specifically se- targeted at sex workers. I live in Korea, but I'm, f- I'm from the Southeast in the U.S., uh, spent a lot of time in Atlanta as a leftist and student organizer. Have Our sound guy who does the sound on this show is from Atlanta. Uh, we all have, several of us have very deep, close ties to that city, and uh, seeing those events happen was very deeply troubling for us, and our hearts go out to everyone affected by that. We love all of our comrades back in Atlanta. This event raises some interesting questions about the uh, the structure and uh, form and nuance around anti-Asian racism in the, U- the U.S., its relationship to imperialism, its uh, relationship to the COVID epidemic we on the podcast, we thought this is something that needs to be talked about. So we set up this little special live stream show and, um, comrade Bori had some interesting thoughts to lead us off with. So Bori, uh, what are your thoughts on this, this horrible events in Atlanta? And I mean, how does that relate to like the horrible anti Asian racism upsurge that we're seeing?
1: So I think we need to, uh, I guess we need to clarify first We're, we I, I haven't seen any confirmation that victims or the massage parlor itself was explicitly uh, like it wasn't confirmed to be sex word as such. But what, what the issue is that is usually massage parlors, nail parlors, these places are associated with sex work. Sometimes they actually do have that sort of, that line of work uh, happening but uh I'm not sure in this case, this actually applies. Uh, we can't take the perpetrator's words at face value that uh, these think these places he was addicted to sex, and therefore these places were the target of his ramp shooting rampage. but I'm not sure that makes these places. I'm not I'm not sure of the terminology here, but I'm not sure that this that itself, that uh assertion itself makes these places where sex workers worked at.
0: I don't know. I, I think one thing we should get into is uh so anti-Asian racism in the US, right? This is a really big subject. This has a long history. Uh it's related to our colonial past. Ours and not you guys, but me. I'm I am an American. Um part of my my country's history my people's history um uh and there's this you know because there was a the controversy around the you know the atlanta police department had a press conference and they said oh this guy he had a sex addiction he had a they literally used the phrase he just had a bad day um and then he went on a shooting spree like that that's a little quote he had a bad day which is such a trivialization of what happened right um and, it, and they were so disgustingly empathetic with this person who like murdered, like, what is it? Eight now, I guess eight human beings with lives and families and friends and histories. And, and then, but then after that, they, they tried to say, oh, well, he had a sex addiction is uh, if that explains it. Right. It's sort of like the, the mantra we get with the usual school shootings in the U S right. It's like, well, that person was just mentally ill. It's like, well, maybe, but there's, Other shit going on here too, and I think in the the U.S. context, when we're talking about like anti-Asian racism and misogyny, I mean these things are very, very closely intertwined, right? I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't. I don't have a fully formed programmatic analysis in my head that I can say to anyone, but I guess that's how I'm thinking about this thing. It's just really disgusting.
1: What I wanted to start out with is by reciting the names of the victims to indicate they were actually real people, but Right now, I, I've only been able to locate the Korean-Americans or Korean immigrants' names. So the four names for Korean-associated victims were Park Sun jung Kim Hyun-jung, Kim Sonja, ja Yoo young And if anyone uh, knows a bit of Korean women names, these are really prevalent older women names. Uh, you can just pass by and hear someone... The thing about in Korea, you usually don't refer to older women by their names. It's usually someone's mom or something like that rather than the name itself. So a part of the feminist movement is just calling women by their names. If you go even a generation upper, then you have people that don't even have names. And that changed over a very condensed time. But the thing is, these were real people with real names with actual families. I've also come across the GoFundMe for one of the victims' two sons because they've just suddenly lost a mother, and through that loss, all the precarity that comes with it, they need to get financial support. But there were also two Chinese Americans or Chinese adjacent or migrants as well. And then I, from what I can could tell, two were one was a white man, was one was a white woman. Uh, going on broadcast and uh, doing it live makes me really self-conscious because I feel like I'm just at the level of gossiping because I don't have the facts right in front of me. But from what I can recall is that in the US, the police don't release the details of the victims before they come into contact with the victims' families. But... Because the women that were working at the massage parlor were... In in the case of the victim with two sons, that was, I think, the sons reached out to the police beforehand. Because these massage parlors are uh, necessarily shady at times because the police target them for investigations every so often. And this sort of targeted policing has increased by... The, the number I saw was like 1300% in the past few years. So they've really increased their policing of these, uh, in, in these parlors. And therefore, the people working there usually go by a fake name and stuff like that, which made identifying the victims hard, which makes the police uh, utterly incapable of reaching out to the victims' families, which makes them unable to release the details of the victims to the press itself. So that was the huge hurdle for people to actually learn the names of the victims themselves. So already we've talked about the institutional barriers and the racism of the police that prevented this information getting disclosed in the first place. The second part I want to talk about is that I don't think like I have any original thoughts on this. The only contributions i i can make is probably going to be at the end of our discussion where i try to think about how to relate this sort of information to a korean audience what kind of problems what kind of like what were the reactions of korean americans asian americans and other leftist organizers and activists on the ground to this incident, what kind of lessons can we draw from that? How should we perceive this in the first place? One of the primary issues was Korean coverage of foreign events and accidents, murders, stuff like that, is that there's like this persistent kind of interest in finding out how many Koreans were involved in the incident, how many of them died, reaching out to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to get a sense of how many Koreans were involved. But that sort of connection is really abstract and, in my my opinion, quite meaningless. But in this case, that they are Korean-Americans is significant because they were part of a larger Korean immigrant community in Atlanta. And that's where Koreans who have found some sympathy to the victims, to their families... And to the community overall can reach out to and uh, provide or volunteer some sort of support to. Other than that, this is an issue of Korean Americans with their own history of struggles that can't be reduced to a simple category of Korean or not. I think it would be much more accurate to perceive this as an Asian American situation. But I'll get back to that later on. That's the only point of contribution I think I can make. The thoughts that I'm going to talk about is mostly absorbing what has already been discussed in the American left, uh, the discourse there. And I think I have a good sense of what the correct response to it is, at least on the ground in the U.S. But yeah, it's it's nothing original.
2: This opinion might sound controversial, but uh, my co-hosts know that I'm a sort of a campist when it comes to politics. And uh, as such, like I perceive this problem and I perceive this killing, this death, as an extension of the like U.S. imperialism and its propaganda war against countries like China or DPRK you know for years if not decades the the media has basically portrayed an image of these countries as enemies and as threats as infiltrators as something that must be fought as something that's you know like they can never be part of the community and i think uh like for me like the, these pe- these people that lost their lives and these families that lost their loved ones are, even if indirectly, like victims of the United States imperialism and their long ongoing propaganda war against any country that do not obey their hegemony. I'd like to add that the like I believe the concept of model minority is a relatively new phenomenon. Because before that, before it came into being, I think you know, what was dominant for a very long time and still is to a degree is the concept of, you know, yellow peril. You know, the like these teeming masses of Orientals are just pouring in to take, you know, jobs for jobs that should belong to honest, God-fearing, you know, white men. But here are these, you know, hordes from the East with their strange, mysterious ways. You know, those very racist and Orientalist depictions like, you know, Fu Manchu, just this scheming Oriental, this inscrutable.
1: Yeah. So it's it's funny because when you go into like early twentieth century or late nineteenth century racist depictions, you'll you have certain categories. You'll have quote unquote Negro. You would have the I forgot forgot what you just said, but you would have the Orientalist stereotype. But when the U.S. acquired the Philippines. and and incorporated that into their empire and had to encounter where to place uh, the Filipinos into their racial hierarchy. They didn't apply the Orientalist uh, trope, but rather the Negro trope. But it doesn't fit in perfectly. So you can see that in in those days, the U.S. were really struggling to uh, have a accurate racist depiction of the Filipinos.
2: Accurate racist depictions.
1: Yeah, like, because it wasn't like there were clearly set, uh, depictions for the Chinese. There were clearly set uh, depictions for the African Americans. But th- the Filipinos, this was something new. They had to have this racist caricature of it. But the categories they had set for it were, were not adequate for Filipinos. So they tried to get into Orientalist, Orientalist depictions. They tried to get into African American depictions and, and they settled, they settled in with the African American ones, but they did it with a twist that the Filipinos could work hard and become civilized like the white man, which wasn't something granted for the African Americans. Uh, p- perhaps this was because the Americans were expanding their empire. Whereas uh, for African Americans, it was more of an internal colony, but it's really interesting looking at those pictures and seeing the limits of the racist imaginary being stretched.
2: <laughs> so i uh, I think the yeah racist imagination is that so the, the oriental that does not obey the you know, say, the imperialist authority is the scheming infiltrator. Like Fu Manchu, but the the Oriental that does submit is, as Mike mentioned earlier, the this sort of you know denigrated almost you know meek drone that good at math, smart, can fit in, but like uh, like quiet, but does like does his job, but like there is no there is no like assert assertiveness associated in it as like before. So I think whereas women have always been the
1: That's for the that's for the Asian men. For Asian women it would be so so one of the yeah, one of the crazy facts that I learned encountering these counter discourses uh was the connection. So uh Jack mentioned that this he interpreted this as uh, the result of US warmongering against China. I would I I don't think that's necessarily the case because uh, warmongering happened uh, since Trump and his trade wars against China. So this has been happening for a while, while as the hate crimes against Asians that has been counted to be in the thousands uh, started last year after the corona outbreak. So the more direct cause behind this would be uh the depict, the depiction of Asians as carriers of the virus depictions of China being the uh, sole source for the virus depictions of China as having the sort of conspiracy to destroy the world etc etc yeah. whereas warmongering it's more an abstract over their kind of a uh, hate
2: oh oh, uh, the, oh no i mean the the the, the uh,
1: I'll, I'll just finish here yeah. Uh, the hatred kind of mongering what had concrete objects to take out their hatred towards, and I think that is m- much uh direct explanation. That said, obviously, and we'll get into this uh, the justifications, the institutional backings for this kind of derogatory uh depictions and treatment of Asian Americans is based upon US imperialism basically yes uh the fact that the US can wage wars at the other side of the world uh, go into vietnam and um just initiate a war and start killing millions drop napalm bombs on it and uh talk about the viet congs and start raping people like and massacring them as well which also happened in in in, in, in during the korean war uh, obviously, as the institutional and historical background, the, the basis for being able to treat Asian Americans like that in the first place. But I wouldn't connect the recent hate crimes with Chinese uh, war mongering against to China directly. I think it's more of a COVID 19 issue. And because this uh, happened in the massage parlor, we also have to talk specifically about how Asian women. Are discriminated against on racist terms and sexist terms, uh, rather than geopolitics.
2: I, I'll say that uh, my interpretation is actually like what you like your you're in like in alignment with your interpretation in that. Sure. sure. Uh, the only like thing I would add is that so my interpretation is that those depictions uh, about coronavirus uh, concerning China is ke- like. China and Chinese as the carrier and the Chinese authorities as a sort of conspiracy to spread it, uh, is a, I, I believe, uh, a strategy by the US imperialism, uh, in their, uh, attempt to shape, as we call it in the military parlance, shape the information space. So it, it is, it is, Part of their uh, imperialist aggression, and I would say, but indirectly, as I mentioned earlier. Sure. So, sure. so I believe there. Are and two-
1: it's, it's also it's also uh, placing the blame not on uh, internal inconsistencies, on total failure to re- respond mm. to the pandemic, onto an external uh, a scapegoat.
2: Mm. So. That's definitely uh, involved. Yeah, Yeah. but uh, apart from that, I I totally agree with you that the that is only an indirect, more uh, you know, like overarching this environment around this this event, and uh, the more direct matter that we must engage it with is the the racist, misogynistic depiction and of Asian women within the cultural imagination of basically white supremacy.
1: Yeah, so that's what I wanted to bring up. Uh, one of the interesting facts that I encountered through the counter-narratives that I, I was looking to, looking into was that, uh, I quote, uh, I, I'm probably going to bastardize the pronunciation, Mari Uihara on Twitter, that, the America's first restrictive immigration law was the Page Act of 1875, effectively banning Chinese women under the pretext of lewd or immoral purposes. It ended open borders. Um, and what it means, the pretext of lewd or immoral purposes, is that uh, the U.S. was viewing Chinese women as either being solicited or trafficked and they were coming into the US to become prostitutes that's why they were seen as lewd or immoral purposes and by banning chinese women which was not only banning the influx of women into chinese women into the US but I, it seems like they also uh, deported all the chinese women that had come into the US till that point so and when when this is the first Restrictive immigration law, and that sets the standards and the basis for incoming uh, limitations for Im- immigration. And I think this is quite a strong case to show that uh, the American psyche, uh, the uh, crucial element of white supremacy in the U.S., is based upon the sexualization and discrimination against Asian Asian women. And that is the long historical trend that led up to the Atlanta shooting. Uh, it started out way before uh, even 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 the world wars. Uh, so like this is to an extent we can say that uh, this is constitutive of the American psyche. Uh, this sort of viewing Asian, women as being uh, solely existing uh, for selling sex or trying to. And it's there's also a victim blaming here because even if you accept that these women were being uh, brought into the country through trafficking, like you're placing the blame upon the women themselves for that. So... If you just try to think through what the justifications, is, nothing holds. It's just explicit, blatant misogyny and racism. Uh, the clothing that they wore were taken up as evidence for their lewdness uh, because they were different. And then, like, it's just mind blowing how how blatant this, these things can get.
2: Uh, another thing I would like to add, uh. To this, is this uh, so white supremacist cultural imagination of uh, like Asian and other sort of oriental uh, women and uh, fetishizing them goes for like centuries and centuries, even like before the whole immigration ever happened? Because if you look at like art history and look at orientalist art, one of the most popular subject of European Orientalist art is like you know the sexualized Eastern women. Like there are so many painters that painted their weird fetishized imaginary version of what they believe to be the Eastern you know harem. Like uh like just imagining say you know like Turkish like Ottoman Turkish like. Like palaces that they had no knowledge, actual knowledge whatsoever about. So this kind of like orientalist thought goes way back, even before they made actual like meaningful contact with these people. It's just the like mind blowing, as Boris said.
0: I think there's one mistake that I think a lot of American leftists make when they look at the rest of the world is they kind of take They view race through the U.S. context and then kind of project on the rest of the world. But I think the the thing about how if we're talking about how Asian Americans fit into like sort of the hierarchy and the structure of white supremacy in the United States, white supremacist capitalism, because those things are intertwined with each other. um, It's very it can be very misleading because the U.S. has a very peculiar, very unique uh, racial structure. Uh, in terms of how people are sorted and slotted into the the hierarchy of the system. Uh, we have a, you know, ex- very div- racially diverse working class. Uh, you know, we style ourselves as the immigrant country, but obviously it's, there's a certain racial group that's sort of hegemonic in, in that arena. But the thing about it though, is that like, I think that the LA riots, So the LA riots in the 1990s, I think illustrated this in an interesting way where, Because again, to reiterate what I said before, there is a possibility for some ethnic groups to eventually assimilate into whiteness. It may take 50 years, like with the Italians or the Irish, but there's a possibility. Like whiteness is a very uh, flexible category that can uh, incorporate uh, new ethnic groups that weren't previously considered white, depending on the needs of capital. But the the interesting thing and unique thing about the US, about American capitalism, American white supremacy is that there always has to be African-Americans because you, in order to have whiteness, you have to be able to define yourself against some other. So African-Americans can never become white. So when we're talking about Asian-Americans, they're sort of stuck in this weird thing. They're the model minority. People make jokes that they're good at math or whatever. And then again, I think friend of our, of the podcast, uh, Albert, shout out to Albert. I asked him to send some comments about things we should maybe bring up. And he, he made this interesting comment that uh, Asian women are highly sexualized and objectified and dehumanized in these really disgusting ways. And then uh, due to historic reasons and the patterns of migration, Asian women get disproportionately, they end up in kind of sex worker massage parlors or whatever. But you had this parallel like uh, desexualization of Asian women. Men. And he made the interesting comment that like K-pop has actually kind of helped with that. Um, so it's like on the one hand, Asian women are these sort of exotic, jungle-like women or whatever that we're supposed to lust after, but on the other hand, Asian men are like totally desexualized and viewed as these like unattractive nerds. It's like two very different forms of racism. One one thing I
2: think um I'm just thinking out loud here. So the model minority thing is Remember, uh, I think our one of the first guests that we had, Noctu. He uh, during another of the conversations, yeah, he and I had. He described uh, behaviors of the Republic of Korea government as junior partners of uh, U.S. imperialism, and so in a sense, I think model minority thing that status is given to junior partners of white supremacy.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting comment. But I, I want to see... I just noticed the comments. So we have some comments <laughs> from listeners. Thank you, everyone who's listening, all seven of you. <laughs> Thank you, seven comrades. Yeah, we, we have people listening. Um. All right. So, sorry, the text is really small. This is uh, Cho Yong-dae. Uh, I'm so desperate because I think mainlanders, Korean, do not think about Koreans who are in other countries. So I think the the commenter here... And again, thank you very much for the comment. Uh, Thank thank you for listening. I think they're trying to say is that, uh, I think this is a Korean friend and comrade. I think they're saying that Koreans in South Korea don't think about what uh, ethnically Korean people, the diaspora, Korean diaspora, deal with in other countries. Uh, I don't know. You guys are both born and bred in South Korea, but you have experience living abroad, I don't know. What's your response to that? Like, do you think that South Koreans don't have sufficient solidarity with their ethnic brethren abroad?
2: I think we only care if they become famous, either through uh, shooting people or uh, <laughs>
1: making good movies.
2: Yeah, like uh, I think when uh, Korean diaspora gets attention in South Korean media is, you know, when they become like famous celebrities or. If they become rich or if they become, you know, some sort of, you know, if they're respectable in the eyes of capitalism, like if they become sports stars, if they become movie stars, that kind of shit. Well, what would you say, boy? So I was thinking
1: when I meant the shooter comment, I was thinking about the Georgia Tech shooter. He was a Korean American. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, and. I remember the response in Korea of being a collective sorry an apology to the US public of uh, of disassociation of Korea. Uh if I remember correctly that that person was Korean American uh not having yeah so he wasn't so so other than his blood lineage there wasn't much c- c- connection to Korea itself. So that collective responsibility was very weird reaction. Uh and, and that it Yeah, that wasn't like taking up responsibility in any sense of trying to understand what a Korean diaspora would have to go through in the US society, like uh the kind of identity crises, the uh the the masculinity tied in with white supremacy uh asianness be, being like constitutive of being excluded from all that that's probably why a lot of asian men buy into insecurities and become asian incels uh, i think that was like a prototype of that to come uh but yeah korea in that instance apologized uh i don't know what they were apologizing for because a very in, a very important part of an apology is understanding what you did wrong, and that apology is a promise to correct that wrong and not repeat it in the future. What what was that? What was that uh, in the apology that the collective apology that the Korean public had towards the American public? Like, what did the Korean public do wrong, other than this association by the guilt by association?
2: But I think the this is actually related to the comment that I made earlier is that the, so in a sense, we basically put our finger into uh, any sort of diaspora, anything done by diaspora. So like, even if say like Korean diaspora become some sort of like sports, like really famous sport person, like, like, there's a collective celebration in Korea for some reason, even though that person's achievement has nothing to do with the people in Korea. And in a similar way, if a Korean person goes around doing something really, really bad, feels a collective apology for some reason. So I guess it's like, yeah, it's weird. It's weird, like
1: that's the extent. That's the extent. Oh, that's the understanding. It's completely self-centered. And not understanding of the actual conditions and struggles the Aspora hmm. go through. So that was one of the concerns I had in trying to, what manner of portrayal of this incident should be uh, sufficient or adequate in light of all this, of this sort of complete narcissism of uh, the portrayal of the Korean image Abroad, whether that be a positive one through celebrities, through uh, K pop stars, uh, sports stars, etc., or through uh, the negative examples. The only one I'm thinking of is that mass shooter, but there probably are others as well. But that's completely meaningless to the I wouldn't say it's completely meaningless in the sense that, like, K-pop, the uh, appropriation of K-pop by queer teenagers uh, because the uh, presentation of gender is a lot more fluid in K-pop, like, that's that's a positive thing. But, like, the the Korean discourse over it is just chauvinistic it's feeding in to the problems that created it in the first place it has nothing to do with actually solving more deeper social problems
0: well yeah i think you guys make an interesting case about like you mentioned the that shooter in virginia which uh bore really interesting comments i had no i remember this happening when i was a teenager and uh in the US. I remember that shooting it was a horrible incident, but it's kind of interesting to hear you talk about how that was covered in the South Korean media. But it raises this interesting thing around like what does it mean to be Korean? Because racism is real. White supremacy is real. Like there are there's an obvious racial hierarchy in the US and even within Korea. Um and I'm going to talk about that in a second, but but like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You said that the the Korean media felt the need to apologize for this person who's Korean. But like, and I'm using, you guys can't see me, but I'm using air quotes with my fingers. Like, what does it mean to be Korean? Because it's tricky to talk about this because race is, func- I mean, biologically, it's not real at all. But I mean, socially, it's real, right? Like if uh, someone meets you and me, they're going to know I'm white and you're Asian, right? Like it, it does function socially and it affects how we're sorted, slotted into the social hierarchy. But at the same time, like when we talk about it, this is one thing I struggle with so much is like I slipping into essentialism, right? So like that, that kid you mentioned, that really deeply disturbed young man who had so much hate in his heart and killed all of these poor people uh, at Virginia Tech. He was Korean. What, how and why, right? Like, there, is there some sort of Korean essence that floats around? And so- Of course not.
1: But also forced upon you through citizenship. So what constitutes a Korean? Uh, basically, uh, there is an institutional basis for that citizenship. But that is a very determining factor so there is no essence is obviously minimizing fluid- his
0: marginalization i'm sure that he he did feel marginalized as an asian american
1: yeah yeah yeah. no I, what i was trying to bring up is that when while we should obviously avoid talking about essences because that's nonsense there are material bases for a constituting identity and a very strong portion of that is through citizenship and you can see that in everyday lives in korea uh, so it talks about whether you finished the military service, uh, which, uh, arm of the military you went into. Like, did you go to the Kachusa or did you go into the army? If you went to the Kachusa, you're like assumed to have had it easy. Whereas if you went into like the front lines in the army, then, oh, okay, you're a real man, you're a real Korean. And, uh, usually just this, this, um, I'll finish here, but usually the the, the contempt Korean nationals have of Korean Americans living in Korea would be of their lack of doing that service or uh, having no interest in serving their country, even if they, deep down, they hate serving the country as well.
2: Yeah, just just adding uh, for the benefit of international listeners, KATUSA are uh, Korean uh, nationals. Uh, who are conscripted into the U.S. Army to serve as basically, uh, like this auxiliary, uh, troops. This ex- basically Korean accessories to the U.S. Army, in a sense. So just, just for the benefit of international listeners who are not very aware about the status of Korean and U.S. military troops on this peninsula
0: well i just want to say boy so, i think you said what i was trying to say but you're smarter and more articulate than i am so you said exactly <laughs> what i was thinking but was too dumb to say so uh i just agree with what you said yeah that identity is okay. important it's uh but i do think there's a danger where we can slip into like sort of like race essentialism sometimes i'm saying you guys are doing that yeah. just like in the broader yeah. discourse like that can happen you know
1: but yeah it's it's funny because in in the Virginia Tech, I'll I'll correct myself, I said Georgia Tech earlier, but Virginia Tech shooter was a Korean American. He didn't go through military service. So in that sense, he doesn't fit the criteria of being fully Korean, but yet the Korean public, or at least the media, felt the need to apologize for that. So then it becomes more trickier. Uh, But I I think we can stop there. Uh, And I, I wanted to... I want to raise the point. I don't know what to make of this point, but one of the things that I've noticed is that uh, in the U S mainstream coverage of the Atlanta shooting was that it was a hate crime. And the counter discourse to that was this isn't a hate crime. This is a, this is a shooting that came out from white supremacy. So the this, this, this distinction made was a hate crime individualizes and pathologizes the incident, obscuring more deeper structural issues. Whereas if you point out this is white supremacy, then you can connect it to U.S. imperialism. You can con- connect it to U.S. settler colonialism and you can connect it to the immigration restriction laws that I mentioned earlier. But that is completely made invisible if you just, when the mainstream media frames this as a hate crime. What the, the point I wanted to make is that this is in contrast, whereas in Korea, uh, since 2016, uh, there was a misogynistic hate crime in Gangnam Station, where a schizophrenic patient had uh, waited in the bathroom of the station and let two men, co- it was a co, uh, what, what, I, I'm not sure what the word is, but it's a bathroom used for both sexes. It's a thing where a building's gender, gender, gender neutral. It's bathroom. gender neutral, but uh, not because it's enlightened, but it's because it saves space. But anyhow, uh, the murderer uh, waited in the bathroom, let two men pass by, and then murdered the third person who came in, who was a young woman. Mainstream media and uh, also the police, the institutions, and also male shav- chauvinistic commentators tried to frame this in, uh, murder as not a hate crime, but, uh, Jack, can you help me out here? Yeah. So,
2: so it was not based on any sort of identity, but the, so the killer was just indiscri- indiscriminate. Sir
1: so was just a complete random Yeah. indiscriminate murder. That's how. Yeah.
2: Crime of opportunity. Sort of a stochastic. A crime of, kind of opportunity. Of-
1: yeah. And then the feminist opposition to that, the counter discourse in Korea was framing this as a hate crime. And that hate crime indicated that there was a structural misogy- misogyny operating here, that the schizophrenic doesn't just... Uh, and also, like, uh, the crime of opportunity was, be- was blamed upon the s- schizophrenia. Uh, and then that connected to wider... Uh, bigotry against the mentally ill, etc. But when, when the feminist kind of framing of it was that this was a hate crime, that there was misogyny operating within this, and misogyny isn't an individual issue, it's already structural, it's already shared in society, it's like the air we breathe in, and therefore we need to be more conscious about that to actually effectively counter it. So, I'm not sure where this discrepancy comes from, Uh, why in the U.S. hate crime is a term used to individualize the incident, whereas in Korea it was used to structuralize the incident. My guess at this point is that uh, white supremacy uh, is much more adjacent to uh, settler colonialism and imperialism, which the mainstream media press cannot talk about, but hate crimes uh where racism is such a big part of everyday life, uh, it's just a given. That's why people can be bigots, can have uh, racist attitudes, and it's acceptable. Uh, it's, it's not exactly acceptable, but it's understandable. So that's why hate crimes can be individualized. Whereas in Korea that wasn't possible. So that might explain the discrepancy, but I thought that was an interesting uh, point of divergence between uh, the two discourses I'm embedded in.
0: And then in the US context, to get to get us back to our subject, I feel like there's like maybe a similar dynamic regarding Asian women. And again, I don't, I'm struggling to think like why this is, I guess I'm just trying to pose the question in a clearer way, but
1: so that sexualization obviously uh, happens in the U.S., and I think an, an, another interesting observation is that how Black women are deemed less than women. So they're like uh, always like uh, resilient. They're always uh, resourceful. They're the heads of the house, whereas because like they're forced to be uh, when when you incarcerate a majority of black men in 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 prisons uh and then the black men will be hypersexualized they're the ones that hypersexualized this is in stark contrast to what we described earlier of Asians asian women being hypersexualized and asian men being deemed less than men and so i guess this is has some sort of relationship with uh the internal racial dynamics uh, of the hierarchy. Uh, what that is, I can't pinpoint right now. But And then we have that interaction in the U.S., that mechanism in the U.S., and that kind of flows into South Korea. Uh, obviously, South Korea uh, discourse overall accepts this sort of uh, advanced capitalist countries being good models to aspire to, Sometimes, uh, yes, the U.S. might not be perfect, but we have North, Northern Europe, Scandinavian uh, social democracies. Everything there must be perfect, so we aspire to become more like that. Whereas then there are the underdeveloped countries, which, to be more precise, is expl- uh, blatantly underdeveloped by whom? Uh, the West how Europe underdeveloped Africa is a book I'm trying to read it. So there's a hierarchy of nations, of states, and then there's a hierarchy of the people there. Mike probably experienced this, of this kind of deteriorating status of white men when uh, the Westerners were also seen as vectors for the coronavirus. And they uh, weren't, people weren't so accepting of a foreign presence even if you're white so i think there's like at the top of the hierarchy it's still korean men but they also have an anxiety of having their women being taken away from them by uh foreigners uh usually it's white men because white men whiteness is also associated with the higher uh, nation-states in that hierarchy?
2: So, dear listeners, wherever you are, uh, please combat any sort of racism you see or encounter in your daily lives. Uh, combat any sort of misogyny you, you encounter in daily lives. And uh, combat any sort of narratives that's designed to build hatred towards uh, any people, whether domestic or abroad, uh, that's driving towards this kind of vicious and virulent kind of, uh, sentiment of hatred that's actually been on the rise for a very long time. Support any sort of people like, uh, a- Asian Americans or like especially Asian women who are trying to build their own power and agency. Support them. Uh, if you are, uh, Asian American or in the broader sense, Asian women, you, you have our firmest and most wholehearted solidarity in your struggle to survive and to have more agency support your local comrades support your local feminists support your local organization support the community
1: Oh do- donate to the migrant trade unions uh migrant tra- uh, migrant workers trade union that would be one thing mtu if you're in korea if you're in the u.s uh, uh we didn't put in much airtime into that discussion about the specific uh slut shaming and whorephobia. Of this incident, even if uh, the workers themselves weren't sex workers, that hasn't been confirmed as far as I know. C- Red Canary Song is doing great work in organizing sex workers themselves and uh, working in a, 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 bo- a bo- abolitionist framework. Ah. But yeah, that would definitely be a place to look into and donate and maybe even plug in your volunteer t- time to work for as well
2: also i'd like to add that if if there are any listeners who are like uh activists who have uh views to add and insights to add especially from like uh asian american or like from a women's perspective i think they'll be very welcome to come on the show and uh, tell us about it
0: absolutely yes uh, for folks listening please email us at redstaroverasia over gmail at gmail.com with any ideas show suggestions we want to hear from you You're, we're making this podcast for you guys so tell us what you want and we will provide the content at Red Star over asia on twitter Red Star over asia on facebook uh, shoot us a message we really would love to hear from you Thank you all for joining, especially thank you to people who commented in the chat. Uh, We really appreciate that uh, it added to the discussion. We have a super exciting show lined up with a comrade to talk about Myanmar and the coup and resistance. Stay tuned for that. Thank you, comrades. Survive and struggle. Stay
2: well. Stay healthy.